Love you, man. You're awesome. Love you. Oh, come on. Give Jesus a big shout of praise. Just remain standing if you would. I want you to pray with me and for me. I believe today's message, even though it's a little rough in me, it's well prepared, but a little rough in me. I believe it's one of the most significant messages, relevant messages that we have had in some time for this, not only this church family, but for our city, our community, the body of Christ, and the nation as a whole. Back in, man, February, it seems like not that long ago, sometimes and it seems like forever. Back in February, remember I came back off of vacation, Pastor Steph and I, and uh, actually I'd been with Bill Walton and uh, his lovely family for a while in Puerto Rico, and then God began to speak to me about speaking a sermon on politics. I'm like, Lord, it's early. You know how you procrastinate. I don't want to do that now. There'll be plenty of opportunity for that later. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't let up, so I did. I thought I'd do one week. I ended up doing two or three. I don't remember. So I actually did two parts. I don't remember how many Sundays I did it over, but this one will be part three to it. And I want everyone online to make sure you shared and get people on to hear this message. Now, you may love me. You may hate me after. You may be, oh, no big deal. But I know it touched my heart, the material I'm going to cover, and I know it's going to touch you. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for our opportunity to be alive in this great nation for such a time as this. I thank you that you have marked us and called us together as your sons and daughters. I pray, Father, for our nation, our leaders, our uh, our people in authority, our police, our politicians, all those, God, that, that, that are in authority. We pray for all those, God, that are that are in pain and suffering right now, all those, Lord, that that have been dealing with so much uh, harsh events in their lives. God, we pray for everyone. We pray for all our people. We pray, God, that we just see the spirit of racism, which is the spirit of murder, broken off our nation. And we see the spirit of rebellion and broken off our nation, that we become one just like you, and that we don't let the media run us or politicians run us uh, or even our own opinion, but we let your heart, your word, run our lives and lead us so that we can lead others. God, it's not about us. It's not about a building. It's not about some church or group, country, or politician. Lord, it's all about you and about those you want to reach. Use us to serve you. Use us to listen, to hear, to understand, to love. Use us to share your gospel with the world so that it's palatable, so that it can be received, that we see a great move that makes a difference like never before. We are your difference makers, and we honor you today in Jesus' mighty name. The church said, come on, the church said, amen. Get somebody an air high five, I guess. And you guys online, just text yes. Pastor Chuck, did he just blow it out last week? Was that amazing or what? It was awesome. And we were talking in the back, and the guy says, man, I think that was the best message he ever preached here. I said, isn't it interesting? We say that every time he comes, right? It's like, I think he's just better, and he is, and so honored to be a mentor of his, and him to be a spiritual son, he and Emily, and his lovely wife, spiritual daughter, and to see what God's doing in their lives, and we just had a great time last weekend with Parker and Gabby's wedding, so I got me a daughter now, amen, and uh, so that's exciting. Uh, they lucked out. They're going to get two honeymoons because uh, they couldn't go where they were supposed to go because it was closed. So they got a week in Florida, then they'll get some more time. 
but uh, they're having a blast too, and I want to thank everybody for your prayers and that. So as we begin, I want to begin part three with this message on politics. And I want to ask you a simple question. Is it possible to disagree politically, but yet love unconditionally? Is it possible? And I know, you know, as I gave that premise back in February, we didn't realize how relevant it would be, not just with politics, but how it became with everything we're dealing with, race and all the other murders and all the crazy things and, and, and attacks on police, but attacks on people, just crazy stuff going on in an uproar. And this is a dangerous opportunity for you and I. This is a time yet first, I'm like, man, who wants, man, who wants to pastor in this mess? Could you like put me in a different era, God? I mean, maybe in the 80s and 90s and 70s, and I was in the late 90s. I was pastoring in the assistant pastor in the 90s, but back there, man, in the fun days, and the, you know, so, but, but this is my time. So if it's my time, it's your time, right? It's our time together, and all of you watching online that are part of this house. And as we began to deliver that, God began to just move in my spirit, and, and, and I gave you this statement. Even though we can and we do disagree politically, what? We must love unconditionally and do what? Pray for unity. Because one has no indifference. When something is one, it's the same. It's singular. And the body of Christ is, is much like our church. A lot of different people with different views, but wonderful men and women of God that love God. And we come together and make up this church, Bethel Harvest Church. But also the body of Christ is much like that as well. Even though they don't always gather together, people who look different and are different, we're still part of the same body. I'm believing for that to change. Anybody believing for that to change with me? So as we look at this, I want to talk to you. Has anyone ever heard of, of uh, attri uh, fundamental attribution error? Fundamental attribution error. Anybody know what that means? Good. You're going to make me feel real smart, but you'll see me cheating and reading it. So what is that? What is a fundamental attribution error? It's actually a cognitive bias a cognitive bias in our thought life that we have been sucked into as a nation. And I really believe globally as well. The cognitive bias causes us to attribute people's behavior for their character. To attribute people's behavior for their character. Let me give you a little quick illustration well, the reason he acts like that, the reason he acts like that, that's just really who he is. The reason she behaves that way, that's just an indication of her heart, you know. She acts like that and says that because that's just really her heart. That's what she's all about. So as we look at this, and when it comes down to our behavior, the, the attribute of our behavior, the circumstances, and the environmental factors. So what happens is we attribute and judge someone else based on their environment and their contributing factor. Let me help you. So, for instance, if it involves me, let's say someone comes to work like you work with, and you're sick of it, and you just say, man, he's lazy, he's a bum, he's always late. I don't know what his problem or what his issue is. I wish he'd get up and get out of bed, right? So as we look at it, he's late. Keep ahead of me. Keep ahead of me. I know your thing is probably like going, not, not keeping up with me. So he's lazy, right? He's, he's a bum. And then, you're, and then what happens when you're late? You don't tell yourself, look in the mirror and say, you're lazy, you're a bum. I don't, do you? 
Well, actually, you know, I had some calls to make, or we had to get the kids off to school, or we had to tidy something up, you know, before we came in for a big meeting. So, you know, actually, I'm so organized, I got everything together so well, the reason I'm late is because I'm so efficient and such a perfectionist. Right? So it's easy to look at somebody else based on what they do or don't do, and then we determine their character by that. So that's what the fundamental uh, attribution bias is. And that's the way it happens. When we assume that one person's actions reflect their character. You see, all of us have a different upbringing. And really, your character, much of it is established by the age of seven. Character doesn't mean uh, doing right or wrong. The word character talks about the character of something, the way it's built the way it's structured, the foundation all the way up through the structure of its existence. It's a building uh, term, really. So our character is not just what we do right and wrong because that's subjective to different people. Even when you take the Bible, you can do this, you can't do that, versus the heart of a matter. So you say the same thing here whenever you look at it through that eyes. So as we look at it now, the fundamental uh, attribution error, what kind of person is she? So whenever we look at a person and she's not living up to your standards or she's not doing what you think she's doing or maybe she's not voting the way you think she should vote, then you got to look at the environmental factors in everyone's lives. I'm not making excuses for any of us. I'm just telling you, you're just like me. We all have them. It's kind of like that old story, issues, we all got them, right? So we can look at it like this when we look at the political scene. So we look at all these factors, all this environmental stuff going around, especially with media and our upbringing and what we face and what they face. For instance, I'm, on, I'm in meetings with uh, monthly, at least once, sometimes twice a month, with pastors in black, white pastors, men, women, leaders, all in uh, Fayette County. I do the same with black, white pastors and leaders in uh, this area, Nicholsville, and the surrounding Jessica County, and even outside that area. And what I've come to find out is that we got to realize it's really not so much who's right or wrong. It's really beginning to love unconditionally and pray for unity and to hear one another and to try to feel the pain. Because I am not a black man. I can't tell you what it feels like to be a black man. That's stupid for me to try to be that. But what, what we got to realize is whenever we're going through these stuff, when we begin to tap into one another's burdens, when we begin to feel what they're feeling, that doesn't mean it changes the way you vote. That doesn't mean it changes your opinion about much of anything other than you come under the blood of Jesus and you love unconditionally. In the same way as some of the black pastors, we were on a call after another shooting a couple weeks ago, and, and a very prominent black pastor said, well, I'll be honest with you, I just didn't want to be on this call today. There's only like 12 of us. Okay, sorry. To hear. Well, why? I just didn't want to see any white faces this morning. And you say, man, how, how could a, a man of God say that? Well, he's just speaking out. Well, he wasn't saying it to be mean to us. He was just saying, this is how I feel. So, so I'm looking at it going, wow, man. That, then I, I could look at it and get mad, or I could look at it and go, wow, what is, and I mean, he's about to cry. What could cause that much pain that I'm missing? What do I need to get that I'm missing? It doesn't mean he's right or wrong or I'm right or wrong. So, so what we got to realize, guys, is whenever we're going through this stuff politically, we're going through this stuff with all the race issues, our police and all this, and our government, and especially the way the media's firing all this up, we got to realize this fundamental attribution error and how it plays into the game. 
Because it's kind of like this. I would judge Democrats or the Republicans one way or another if I was the opposite, right? So maybe if you're a certain persuasion of of your uh, voting background or whatever, your way you vote is, you'd say those corrupt Democrats, they're just corrupt. I don't know what their issue is. They're just crooked. And then the Democrat might say, well, yeah, but, but you Republicans are heartless. You have no heart. You have no mercy. You're liars. You're, you have no heart. What is that? That's assuming what the fundamental attribution area where you're taking all of these events and all this, you're summing up and making everybody one thing based on your opinion. And let me help you. Everybody has one. Does anybody believe that this morning? Or what about this? Well, the Democrats, you know, they're just all socialists. They're just socialists. They're going to ruin our country. We're going to become communists. Well, what about those Republicans? They're all racist. I know every one of them. I, I, I met a lot of them. I was raised with them. Those Republicans are racist. Those, those, those Democrats are socialists. Those Republicans are racist. Isn't that what you're hearing? Isn't that what you're hearing? That's what I hear. Talk radio, news. That's what I hear when I'm walking around in stores. And, and that art not be so, we are bigger than that as the body of Christ. And I'm not saying that about you because I don't see right now. There's been times we've been a little tense with different things over the years, but I'm real proud of our church. And sure, there's always some little thing here or there, but I see the heart of people and how you guys are navigating things. Even if you have a bad day, you kind of come back and repent the next day. It's not whether you were right or wrong. It's the actions of the heart. So you want to keep your heart right. But see, what I want you to realize is we're all in this together. And what we got to realize is God is bigger than our environment. God is bigger than our culture. I, I was writing, a, a, feeling, uh, getting ready to start a ministry man, 12, 14 years ago called Culture of Hope to go in and transform communities. And, uh, and, and it's such a powerful thought and vision, and God is really bringing that back up in my spirit because he said we are what? Difference makers. And if we want to be a difference maker, then we need to go under by what God says and not by what the political rhetoric is because Jesus did not come to be on anyone's ticket. Jesus did not come to be on anyone's platform. Jesus did not come to be, you know, there to stand up for a plank of the platform. As a matter of fact, Jesus came to wreck the world. Jesus didn't come to get along. Jesus came to love unconditionally, but he came to take over. And what you and I have to realize, whenever we choose a side, remember the message, the third option, isn't that what Satan wants? He wants us to choose a side, any side, just one or the other. But the third option is God. And when we have God's side, even though we might have a belief, we, and I want you to vote your conscience, your heart, you vote according to what you see the word being. But what I want you to do is not judge other people for the way they vote or don't vote. You vote the way you are, but try to understand and love them and, and get through it together. Because here's the thing. You are the Christ that this world is going to see. You may be the only Jesus they ever meet or they ever know. They see Jesus in you and through your life. So let's look at Galatians 6, 2. We've covered this a long time ago, but I'm just going to hit this verse again for just a second. And what happens when we carry someone else's burdens? What? We listen, we learn, and we lean in. And that's what I'm finding out through this time with many of you listening, learning, and leading in. What is that? When we choose. Everybody say choose. You see, I can hear you, but not hear you. And when that happens with Pastor Steph, she lets me know when I hear her, but didn't hear her, right? Because she's not getting the results that she wants to get because maybe I heard her, but I didn't really hear her. And what I want you to realize is, guys, here's the key. No one 
really cares what you know to what? They know how much you care. If you believe that, type yes in the comments, right? You guys can get online now and encourage the people online with me. So, so what I want you to realize is, guys, until someone, did you, you ever even got good advice from someone that just ticked you off because you weren't in the place to receive it? Because it didn't touch your heart. You didn't feel they were with you. You see, it's like with my sons, whenever I have to discipline, or even though they're adults, sometimes still discipline over stuff, you know what? They're, they, they know my heart, even if they don't totally agree with me, and they can respect me for that. And when we love and respect one another based on our heart and based on what God says, then it begins to change everything. So what we choose to do, what carry someone else's burden. What is their burden? Do you know their burden? Do you understand social justice and what it means? Do you understand your perspective of it? Do you understand what it is about the rights? And we deal with whether it's abortion or whatever those rights are. Different parties. Here's the thing. God's for all the good stuff. So don't let someone get you to where, you know, you, you know, and when something's bad in your party, stand up against it. That's fine. But what I want you to realize is, guys, the key for you and I, whether it's racial issues, whether it's authority issues, whether it's politics or whatever it is, it's up to us to carry someone else's burden. Amen? Thank you for one person. Man, we might have 10 people left after today. And I want you to hear my heart. I'm trying to express it. This is probably a little loosey-goosey, but, but I just want you to express the things that I've been learning. I thought I'd learned a lot about race being, you know, a, a pastor, assistant pastor to a church of 10, 12,000 people a week. My youth group that I started at 21 ended up being about 1,500 at the peak. It was 65% black. You couldn't wear, when we sent buses out, you had to watch. You couldn't wear red on that street. You couldn't wear blue on this street. So, so I, I thought I had a good handle. Come here, multicultural church, right? We have people of different colors and backgrounds that don't look the same, don't vote the same, don't believe everything the same. But we love one another and believe in Jesus and we're Christians and we love God and we're growing together. So I thought I knew a lot until, man, all this stuff happened in this last year. And then being on calls and being in meetings with different people and really hearing one another's heart. But I got to express my heart too. And to see how loving people are to receive my heart. See, it's an exchange, not so much of ideas, because people are pretty much set in their ideas. It's really an exchange of hearts. And it's an exchange to let people know that you love them and you're for them. Doesn't mean you agree with them. I love my boys and I, I'm for them, but I don't agree with some of the things they do, and they're going to hear about it. Even when I'm 80, they're going to hear about it. Because I'm dad. Why? I have a voice in their life. See, a lot of people run around and talk a lot, but they don't have a voice. What do you mean? They don't have any leverage. You really don't even start getting your voice till you're about 40, 41, 42, because voice just doesn't come about knowledge. It comes through knowledge and experience. And when you've experienced some things, you can begin to share because you have leverage, you have a voice. And the older you get, hopefully you keep growing and your voice is more impactful and more influential. So what I encourage people a lot of times is don't lose your voice. Don't lose your influence, but be a calming effect. Be truthful if you're asked, but never be so concerned about just telling them what you think until you know how it feels and take that on in your life and to feel it yourself. Is that good? So whenever we do this, we choose to carry someone else's burden. What divides us diminishes. 
when I come into agreement with you, even if I disagree, even if I vote different of you, if I don't like some of the ideas you have, how you raise your family or how you vote or, you know, who you hang out with or what you do or don't do, when I begin to choose to carry your burden, in other words, that means I'm choosing to hear you till I hear you. I choose to hear you till I feel it. I may not understand it, but I can kind of feel it. And then what happens? When that happens, what does it do? Whatever's dividing us diminishes. And then what happens? When we choose to carry someone else's burden, what unites us surfaces. Amen? What unites us surfaces. And that's what's so important in, in whether it's race, politics, voting, whatever it is, guys, church, holiness, ministry, whatever it is, what's so, how you raise your family, how you raise your kids, what is it that unites us? If you would begin to hear and carry the burden of what could divide you, but find something somewhere that you could come into agreement on and love unconditionally and pray for unity, then you might have a voice in someone's life. But what I want you to realize is the most important voice is your voice because you speak to yourself more than anyone else would ever have a chance to speak to you. You can complain about the media, but really 90% of who talks to you is your own voice, your own mind, your own heart. So that's why it's so important to guard it. That's why it's so important to be hungry, to carry a brother's burden, carry a sister's burden, to find what unites us and what brings us together. So what we're going to do today for the next little bit is talk about really what the church was established on what the New Testament church became. It became what? A world-changing movement. And we look at the body of Christ today, I don't see us as a world-changing movement. And what I want to ask you is, are we willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter? I didn't say you don't vote. You should vote. You should be conscious of that. You should investigate. Yes, everyone should vote. But here's the thing. I'm not going to judge you how you vote, right? I'd be a little upset if you don't vote. Just don't tell me. I don't have to pray through on that because you should vote, <laughs> right? Just don't get the preacher. I'm not totally there yet. I'm working on it, right? But, but to not vote is just unacceptable. Well, I don't know anything about it. That's just as unacceptable. <laughs> you, need to, you need to check it out. Well, here's the thing. Every Christ follower has to wrestle, you with, wrestle with these issues. And we wrestle with there are certain things you hate about the party you, you're connected with, but there's some things you just got to have. This other party that you're in, you, there are certain things you hate about it, but there are certain things you like about it or love about it, and, and that's okay. But the thing is, never allow any affiliation with politics, career, anything come before the filter what you're filtering things through as a child of God. Now, it's very difficult to do today. Why? Because of what we talked about earlier, how we're judged by our actions or what we say as far as being our character. But whenever we get convincing to ourselves and we convince others that we want to help them carry their burden, we want to hear them, even though we're going to do what we feel is right, we're going to do it in love and not out of anger and vengeance, but we're going to do what's right because that's the way we filter it through Christ, what does that do? Then that brings a culture shift. 
And we're not going to see a culture shift in a day, a week, a year, five years. But I'm telling you what, if the church would begin to shift. I was on a call not long ago, and there was a, there's a certain group on the call that, that they've wrestled, you know, every denomination at one time did not really uh, believe in, allow women to preach, right? But there's some today that still wrestle with it within the body. And there was one of the brothers said, you know, I appreciate all of you all on here, and you're hearing my heart about race. And he did a devotion. He said, but, but I have to repent. And there's like four other women ministers on there. And he said, I have to repent today. And everybody's like, okay. And he says, you know, I'm expecting you to hear me and carry my burden about race. I'm a black pastor. I'm older. I've been through a lot. I've seen a lot. But here I sit, and I never harmed women who preached. I never talked against them, but I didn't help them. And I want to repent to you, ladies. Because that was one of the tensions about being on a call. It was more than just race. It's like, who believes in what? And how's everybody going to get along? And I mean, you could just feel like this lifting in the room, how bold that was, how transparent that was for that brother to humble himself for something he'd stood on for many, many years. But he said, through this process of pain, I don't want to cause pain on my sisters, and I want to support sisters that want to get in the pulpit and preach. You can give God a hand clap of praise with it. So even out of tragedy, triumph can come, right? Even out of pressure and pain, good things come. No pain, what? No gain. And that's why it's so important for us to understand this. So as we look at this, and we realize the, the footnote of your political platform or whatever you're a part of, that filter should never come before the filter of Jesus in your life. So what do we see here? We do what? We do the world a disfavor when we wrap our political ideologies with the teaching of Jesus. Look, you can, you can find cults. They build their stuff. Jesus is somewhere in their doctrine. The Republicans, Jesus is on the platform. Democrats, Jesus is on the platform. Independents, Jesus is part of their platform. Uh, whatever else is there. There's another one. Unitarian, uh, no, well, there too. But uh, Libertarians, you know, Jesus is part of the platform. Look, Jesus is part of everything. I had a backslidden Church of Christ preacher lead, get me convicted, sitting there stoned out of our mind on New Year's Eve at a housing development when I was getting ready to turn 21 after 12 o'clock. God can use anything. But what I want you to realize, Satan can use anything. Sometimes we just got to get off our chest and we're crushing someone else's heart and we don't even realize it. So it's important for us to realize that we do the world a disfavor if we try to make, you know, okay, if you're part of this party, then you're a Christian. If you're part of that party, you're not a Christian. That's the goofiest stuff I ever heard. So if we want to start parsing things, if you break the speed limit, I guess you're not a Christian, right? So never allow your party or anyone else to convince you that, and judge someone else because they don't vote like you or they don't look like you or they don't have the same background you have. And I'm talking about both sides, all sides, not just black. I'm talking about black, white, all of us. Republican, Democrat, independents, libertarians. I'm talking about all of us. We need to realize, guys, we're not here to judge one another. The only person I have a right to judge is Dalton. That's it. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, if I judge myself, I will not be judged in that day. So I need to judge myself and repent so that I have the mind of 
Christ, man, you guys look like you're, you're at a dentist right now, but that's okay. I wonder how you guys are online. Is this good online? Let me know if it's good online. In here, it looks like everybody's at the dentist, so. I, I'm not nervous. I'm just trying not to get in a hurry, that's all. So when we look at this, we do the world in his favor when we wrap anything, when we wrap the doctrine of our church, because our doctrine, as best we think it is, that I've learned things years later that I had to change. So we're not perfect. God is perfect. So whether it's a church doctrine, whether it's a, a family ritual, whatever it is, never put that before your filter of Christ and never impose something on others, but rather make them tasty and hungry and share with them through your love and your wisdom of through the filter of Christ. So Jesus didn't come what? To get along. He did what? He came to take over. He came to reverse the order of things. And when we edit and we filter Jesus with a political party or a special interest group, when we filter Jesus with that, we're downgrading Jesus. We're downgrading his influence. And guess what? When we downgrade his influence, we downgrade our influence. Because didn't we die so we could be alive in him? Is this helping anybody today? So we cannot first and foremost, first and foremost, party. I'm not talking about your first year in college, your freshman year in college. Your party is not number one. Jesus is number one. Amen? We must be the one who allows the kingdom and kingdom people willing to influence our parties. There's a party that I vote in, and I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm really more of an independent anymore, but I get so upset with the party. I, there's, I know no matter what party you're affiliated with, there's some things about it that irks you, and you'd like to just grab some of these idiots by the neck and say, what were you stinking thinking? You're an idiot. But you pick the best of two evils according to you. You know, as so I said, according to you. Now, you may have grew up in a church that talked about politics all the time but I bet it just talked about one side of politics. <laughs> so we need to use our kingdom influence on both parties. We need to hear, to love, to understand, but do what's right and vote the way you're convicted to vote because that's your revelation and what you need to do according to what the Word says. Well, yeah, that's right. So a lot of Christians have lost their lives over establishing Jesus' influence in the earth. And we look at, go back to the early church and how they reshaped culture and how they changed things. They refused to, uh, they refused unconditional loyalty. They were loyal, but not unconditionally loyal before Christ. They refused unconditional loyalty to their emperors, even the good ones. They, they, they still kept Christ in the center in the front. And they moved the ethical and moral needle toward Christ and brought a great change. And you know how they did it. Here's what they did. Here's what they get through cultural disruptive unity. Culturally disruptive unity. Culturally disruptive unity. What's that talking about? They, they operated love and unity and faith and rocked Nero's government. They rocked the Roman government. They rocked 
the traditional church. They rock it all through what? Culturally disruptive unity. In this world that they came into, just like us, you're honored and, and, and honored and, uh, and so on by your wealth, by your influence, by your citizenship, by your power. And the way you get it is you get education or back in those days you could buy it, you could do different things. And what I want you to realize is a lot of people purchase their way through, whether it's through a political seat, whether it's through money, whether it's through influence or knowing somebody. But what I want you to realize is God wants you to be an eternal influencer. He wants you to shake things up. He wants you to be the ecclesia. He wants you to be the church. He wants you to be the ones that are the gathering of Jesus. When you're there, Jesus is present. So the first century church, without raising a sword, without doing anything, they disrupted the world, basically. And then that's the emotions that they operated in. Now, during that time, classes of people whose circles rarely overlap came together. Look at this now. Classes of people who rarely came together at all overlapped and worshiped together and came under the banner of Jesus together and began to shake up the economy, shake up the politics, and even shake up the church of that time. Classes of people who rarely, circles who rarely came together, they voluntarily and they regularly worshiped every week. They worshiped the resurrection of Jesus. They had to overcome their social norms. They had to overcome the ideology and, and how people are because of what they say and what they act or what they have or what they don't have. And so why would they come together like this? Why would these people that look different, different backgrounds? Some were slaves, some were slave owners, business owners, heads of family, and the, the, the hobos walking on the street. Why did all these people come together? They came together because the message of Jesus Christ was so He said, I've come to establish a new kind of kingdom, and everyone is invited to it. You see, when you put his kingdom first, you can break through any barrier and reach people. The apostle Paul said these words in Galatians 3, 28. He said, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Wait a minute. He said, "There's." think of the bold statement there. He's a Jew, right? And, and at one time, you know, they tried to kill him multiple times. They finally did. But here's the thing. Here he is. He's from that. His family had been Jewish. He was, raised, he was trained by Gamaliel, the greatest rabbi of all of that time, obviously before Christ, other than Christ. And, and what happened, he said, neither Jew or Gentile. In other words, the old church, the old covenant. No, yeah, the old covenant became the new, right? It was fulfilled with the new. But what I'm saying is, how do I want to say this? He didn't, they didn't allow religion. And, and just the history of religion determined their beliefs. But through love and through coming together, through the power and the blood of Jesus and through his wisdom, they began to win people from all camps to Christ because of their influence. Now look at this. This is wild. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. And he said this, neither slave nor free. Now slavery during that time was different. Like our nation, when slavery started, it was a a business and then it became racist well it was racist and and all those things and 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 whenever it came into fruition in our nation and 
And by, you know, you, you were, by the color of your skin, you were delegated to this and from where you were from. And we're still dealing with that stuff today. But think about this, during their time, anyone was a potential slave. If you didn't pay for your horse, they could come and take your daughter, right? If you didn't pay your bill over here at the blacksmith, over here working on your animal or whatever, they could come and take your son. Almost anyone during that era could potentially be put into slavery. But Paul said this. He said, neither Jew nor Greek, Gentile, neither slave nor free. But it's neither slave nor free. So what's that telling you? Jesus established this brand new upside-down kingdom. And you're telling me that God views me with the same esteem and dignity that he views my master? This would be a slave during that time. You mean God views me the same dignity he does the master? And then, then the master said, you mean you esteem the slaves with just as much dignity as you did me? What kind of kingdom is that? When you think about the controversy and the stuff going on today, it is nothing in comparison to what these men and women stood against. It is nothing. If God could bring the greatest move ever during that time when anyone could have been a slave, anyone could have been persecuted, anyone could be, what could he do now? He didn't say agree. He said try to understand. And then even in our trying, we'll get part of it. Because you don't know what it costs to be me. I could sit here for 12 hours and tell you my history and what happened. You get an idea, and I don't know what it costs to be you. Your family doesn't even really know what it costs to be you. Only God and you know what it costs to be you. So don't be, spend your time so much trying to be understood. But spend quality time trying to understand. Listen. Until you hear, right? So, look at this one. You girl, you ladies will love this. Look at this. So, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. Look at this. Nor is there male and female in God. Now, think about that. During that time, you imagine, you know, you had the religious thing. Then you had the slavery stuff. Then what? Then the women are way down here below the slavery stuff. But Jesus turned it upside down, ladies. He turned it. He was the greatest uh, supporter of women ever, right? He turned it upside down. And he said, wait a minute. The Apostle Paul, what he say? He said, this kingdom is a kingdom of value. This, and, and this system has changed over what? He said, men and women have the same dignity and the same standing in the eyes of God. But Peter said it even more plainly. He said, hey, men, you need to be careful how you treat your wives. They are joint heirs with you in the kingdom, and they are joint heirs, heirs with you in the terms of what is to come, and you have the same master that you are accountable to, your heavenly Father, right? And it's his daughter and your wife don't mess with his girl. Think about that. We, 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 so I want to say, how far are we away from what the first church, the establishment of the church established? 
And that's when you could lose your life. That's when it really counted. It wasn't mean you just to get, you know, knocked off social media or talked about on social media or lied on or whatever. Man, that, that was like real life stuff. They'd come and take your whole family. Look at Galatians 3, 28. Well, that's what we're looking at, right? Said, nor is a mere female, for you are what? All one, all one in Christ Jesus. So whether you're a slave or free, whether you're, uh, uh, you know, male or female, whatever, we are all one in Christ. And no matter what kind of religious upbringing you had, as long as you believe in the blood of Jesus, he rose from the dead, you've received him in your heart and your life, you're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. So when something is one, that means there's no distinction. When something is one, it looks, it's the same. And even though you could see people from different backgrounds that Paul was talking about didn't look the same, didn't have the same education, the same influence, the same economic situation. Some were men, some were women, but they were one. You see, when we come in Christ, we are one. Equal value, equal dignity. That's all it is. Equal value, equal dignity. Jesus predicted the future in Luke 16, verse 16 in NIV. He said, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, what? The good news of the kingdom of God. The good news. So, so we're supposed to be the ones bringing the good news. We're supposed to be the ones that our eyes are open so we can open the eyes of others. The good news is being preached everywhere, is forcing their way into it. Think about that. People are forcing their way into the kingdom because the good news is being preached. We should be so attracted, church. We should be such difference makers. Wherever we're working, wherever we're living, whatever we're doing, we should, even within the church, we should be so attractive that we that people want to force themselves into the kingdom because they know you. They want to force themselves into the kingdom because they met you and you had some kind of impact on their lives. Difference makers. So God invited you and I not only in the kingdom, but he invited us to participate in spreading the gospel and sharing kingdom. And, and we are what? We are stewards of it. He trusts us. He, Paul said, I have been approved to preach the gospel. You are a preacher of the gospel. You have been approved to preach the gospel. And I know as a preacher, you've been around me, especially if you know me, I say things and, and I regret and have to repent. And I, I do things and have to regret and repent like you. But the bottom line is, let's do it quickly. and Let's get in line so what we can understand. So God can download some stuff to us. You know, in some of these conversations I'm in, it'd be easy to sit there and feel judged because I'm taking the brunt of some pain that's on the news or whatever. But I get to share my heart too. But here's the thing. It's helping me to understand the pain. And I'm seeing a transformation in men and women that are receiving healing. And now they're saying, hey, you know, as difficult as it is for you to sit and hear this, we have to forgive. We have to forgive for the abuse on our race. We have to forgive for any indignity. We have to forgive. So it's, it's not just like you got to sit there and take it and this, that. No, you're not. You're sitting there trying to understand. You're trying to feel it. They want you to feel it. But then again, just think how hard it is if you're the one that you feel you've been wrong and then you have to forgive. Hmm. 
So it's not a one-way street, people. Well, everybody just expects too much of me. Everybody expects too much of us, or everybody expects too much of this. Come on, man. Whenever you think about Christ, think about this, guys. Think about this, guys. What did he do? He gave it all. He paid it all for us. That's what we got to take. That's what we got to give. That's what we got to serve and share with others. It'd be foolish for any local church, any Christian or any local church in general to be uh, divided over a political party and just pick one party or the other. Aren't we supposed to attract people that are different than us? How do you learn if you never run anybody different than you? How do you understand? How do you get a pulse of what's going on? And I'm the only one on these calls that I know of that has a, a church that's multicultural. Some have a person or two here or there. But, but I'm learning, but I'm learning, and they're learning from me. Somebody has to make a difference. We can't stick our head in the sand and hide. You know a good way to stick your head in the sand is have your mind made up and nobody can change it and you're talking to someone, waiting for them to stop moving their mouth so you can give them your opinion. Man, you might feel better when you leave, but you didn't do anything better. You didn't influence. You didn't change. And, and, and I'm going to tell somebody I believe something I don't believe, and I'm not going to lie to them. So I just don't, if I don't agree with you, I'm going to love you and not say anything. Unless I'm your pastor, it's a little different. <laughs> Just say, you sure let me know when you don't like it, praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I think I got more than 50 stripes. But anyway, so. So here's what's really cool. Um, the uh, 45 years, this was all taking place 45 years after Paul had been killed, become a martyr. And there was a governor uh, in Nero's Rome, for Nero, and he was over the, the place we would call Turkey in that area right now. His, his name was Pliny, the, Pliny of the Younger. You can say Pliny or Pliny, but Pliny of the Younger. And he was the governor of a region, and his responsibility now is because they're saying, look, we got some kind of curse on us. Nero was saying, we got some kind of curse. Our, our, our power's falling apart. The edges are frail. We're, we're not having to influence. People are not sacrificing and giving like they used to. And there's a lot of rebellion and all this. So, so how are we going to bring all this in? So they felt it was the Christians, these crazy Christians. So whatever this younger, uh, plenty of the younger, this, this, he wrote a letter to Nero. And when he wrote a letter to him, this thing is an artifact. It's in existence today, right? And so it's a letter from him to Nero about Christians. Now, what he did, he didn't understand, and he's talking about, well, I don't really understand this, so what I'm going to do is go do some investigation. He sent teams out to investigate these radical, crazy Christians. Uh, let's go back there. I, I skipped, did I skip something there? The sum of the substance. I think. So, yeah, go on down to the next one. I'm sorry. So, so here, here's what he found out. So when he sent this letter, here's what it said. He said, uh, the sum and the substance of their fault, because they had to be at fault, right? Because they're the people causing the uprising, causing the Roman government to fall and all their authority. So he had to find fault. He said, so the reason their fault or error has been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn. Oh, so they're all getting together, which was Sunday, but they didn't have a day off. You didn't have a, a day. You worked seven days a week. But, but, but what they did, they were coming together. So that was a crime. They're coming together and meeting once a week before dawn, before they go to work. And then look, look what it says. 
And guess what? They do something really repulsive. I mean, this is horrible. I mean, this, this, this should be hanging right here, right? And sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as to a God. I mean, to them, Christ wasn't a God. He was just some rabbi that they crucified. But think about that. They didn't have a B-I-B-L-E like you and me. So they had to like sing the letters and sing different things and call back and respond to one another when they would sing in response back, right? So then what happened? And when they sing responsibly a hymn to Christ, to a God, and to bind themselves by oath, this is probably what really was going to cause them to pull all the Christians in and prison them and prison them or kill them, right? But when it says they bind them with an oath, let's see what that oath was that they said every morning, every Sunday morning together. So it said, and sing responsibly to him. So they would sing these oaths out to one another, to Christ as to a God, and to bind themselves by an oath not to do some crime, right? Let's go on, not to do some crime. They said oath, but not to commit fraud or theft or adultery, not falsifying their trust, but not to what? Not for, nor to refuse to return a trust or keep their word when called upon to do so or to get involved and to help out. Look at this. To them, the Roman government, that, their kingdom, that was appalling. These are fighters. They celebrate war, murder. They're it, man. They're slaughters. They couldn't believe it. And it's like, these little wimpy Christians are what's causing the uprising in our kingdom. These little wimpy Christians are what's going to bring Rome to its knees. And they were angry and laughing at the same time. They didn't get it. It was appalling. But look at this. It was also appealing. Because so many people were being drawn in. And so many people were hearing their influence. And so many people were seeing their heart. And so many people saw them shake up Rome's kingdom. So many people saw them unfravel and have Roman fear and had them investigated. All these things, it was appealing. So what might be appalling, you can turn to appealing. And then, after appealing, Christianity achieved what? A well-nigh, oh, this is a, a letter from Jordan Peterson from the 12 Rules of Life. This is pretty cool because he begins to describe what these Christians were doing and the impact they had. And he said this, Christianity achieved the well-nigh impossible, well-near impossible. It's written a long time ago. The Christian doctrine elevated the individual soul. Elevated the individual soul. What? Placing slave and master, look at this, and commoner and nobleman alike on the same metaphysical footing, rendering them equal before God and the law. I mean, you're looking at during the Roman times, that was the most prosperous time. Man, they had spas. I've been, you know, to Israel and other places, and you go into where they had their hot tubs and springs, and they had running water coming in and out. They were so far ahead of their time. But it doesn't matter how much rich and how much wealth you have, Jesus can turn it all upside down. And maybe that's what's happening to us right now. We're getting turned upside down a little bit, so the church will wake up. So we'll wake up. So we'll not live in fear. We'll not live in fear. We'll not live in anger. I mean, you can be on one side or the other or in between and be in fear. 
So if I'm in fear, then that means I've let the fear of what could go on this earth and the natural, the metaphysical, come before the power of Christ. No matter what happens, God can turn it in his favor if we'll trust and if we'll pray and if we'll you know, go vote. Go serve on a team and go knock on doors. Do whatever you want. But just be positive. So the implicit transcendent worth of each and every soul established itself what? Against impossible odds. I want to ask you, when you look at their odds, is it really so bad what we're facing? So really what it is, it's an opportunity. Has anyone learned anything through this? Man, I've learned a lot. Any of our black brothers and sisters, you learned anything that you didn't know about white folks? Have you? Just Some of you shaking your head. How about you white folks? You learn anything about your black brothers and sisters? Yeah, people raise their hands. I'm sure you can say yes online. So, so we're people of color. We're people that are white. We're people that are multiple. You know, whatever, I don't know what you call it. But I know this much, we're one. We're one family. We're one family under God. So we're appealing. That's the key, right? What happens when this happens? You become contagious. When you're contagious, you're what? You're a difference maker. Man, we have an opportunity to be contagious. You know, when you're the most powerful person in the room and you humble yourself to listen, to be thoughtful, to try to understand, it gives you twice the power you had before you came in that room. If you want to influence someone, love them. Oh, just the way they are? Not the way you think they should be? And look at this, Nazarene sect. They, they were <clears throat> contagious, and they, they called them a Nazarene sect. They called them separated. They called Jesus what? A crucified rabbi. But what Jesus said is his rule is what? Love your enemy. Right? If he takes your coat, give him your other coat. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Whether they vote like you, agree like you, have the same religious point of view you do or not, So their culturally disruptive unity shocked the world. And the way it shocked the world is through the law of Christ. The law of Christ. He, see, he gave those new laws, right? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Doesn't mean you have to give in and surrender enemies, but you've got to love them, right? And then what happens? Carry each other's burden. And this way you will fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So what do we do? Through this time, guys, it's up to us to listen. It's up to us to learn, and it's up to us to love. It's up to us to listen. Listen and hear. It's up to us to learn. It's up to us to love. I mean, I know, I don't even have to have you raise your hands. You probably got people in your family, especially if you got young adults and different things as well, that may vote different than you, may have different beliefs than you about police, about race, about different things. So do you kick them out of your family? So why are you judging your brother and sister you sit in church with because they don't agree with you? Quiet and the whole goes, how about y'all out there in social media land? 
Huh? I'm nervous. So what are we supposed to do? If we disagree over anything, especially politics, we love with no conditions. And we pray for unity. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Stand and let's pray right now. And all of you online, let's pray. Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for the church, the body of Christ. Let's pray for those that are in pain and suffering. And pray for those that are in fear, those that are in anger. Hallelujah. See, this is one of those kind of messages, Michael, you kind of wonder when you come back next week who will be here. Or, or you know, uh, probably we'll find out here in a couple hours anyway. But still, <clears throat> but I, I'm, I didn't share it as clear as I want to, but I, I, I did my best to be as balanced as I can to just share what I feel Christ was saying. And, <clears throat> I wish I had it in me a little more than I did. <clears throat> but I just want you to know, man, believe me, anyone out there watching this today or anyone here, I'm not judging anyone. I am not. I am not judging. I just want you to know, man, I love you just the way you are. I pray you love me this way I am. I pray that we grow together. Because if you're not growing, you're dying. We're better together, right? We have an opportunity to lead in a time of trouble. We have an opportunity to lead in a time of turmoil. They say, well, I'll never change. Then you're dead. We should always want to change and grow and learn more and know more or, or, or learn more about what you believe is right, but how can you present it better? How can you share it? Hey, guys, we're all, we're all God's God. <laughs> He's got the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's in you. He's got angels, but you have authority over them. He said, when you feed the hungry, I fed them. When you give a drink of water in my name, I did. You did it. When I give a person a drink of water, I can't do it without doing it through you. Hallelujah. Father, I just thank you that we're all learning, we're all growing, and we definitely don't doubt who you are. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the master of the universe, of all living things and things that are gone. Holy Spirit, we just pray that we always hear you. We know we don't from time to time, but just keep bringing us back to you. Keep us bringing back to Neil, to you, to put you first. Put you first before our families. Put you first before our identity, our race. Put you first before our politics, our church, our religion. Because if we put you first, we'll get the other stuff where it needs to be. And we can bring other people along. God, let's pray for our Christian leaders, our men and women of God, pastors, evangelists, prophets, teachers, and leaderships within churches and ministries and organizations. God, I, I just see uh, a work taking place, and I know it's got to happen there, 
or you just got to remove all of it so you put somebody else in and I know you can do that too and some will go but most will change Father we're up to the challenge search our heart search our heart search our mind check our intentions lead us to grace and forgiveness give us your wisdom your knowledge peace your influence Lord let us not do one thing that would hurt your kingdom let that be our prayer when we get up every morning Father let me not do or say one thing that would hurt your kingdom that we would not do one thing or say one thing that would hurt your kingdom God, we pray for all of our political leaders, the ones we have and the ones that we will have and the ones that will be gone. And pray for all of our people secure in our nation, our soldiers, our military, our police officers, first responders. Pray for everyone, God, that's trying to bring unity, everyone that's trying to bring understanding. Pray for leaders in our black community, black communities, Asian, Hispanic, people from different religious backgrounds. We just pray for one another, Father. Lord, we even pray for our enemies. That, God, you would just help us to do what's right, say what's right, but to do it, but still love. And to keep believing for unity. Lord, anyone now that their heart and their mind's not there, we just pray that they would accept you as Lord and Savior today. Bring you into their heart. I pray for peace in families. Pray for those that would put career before family, beliefs, rules before family. We can't serve you well, God, if we're not bringing peace wherever we are. Pray, Father, that we just put you above any desire we have so you can give us the right desires and passions. Bless your hurt church. Bless this vision. Bless this house and every other house of God. We give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said? Uh, I do want to say one thing. Uh, next Sunday, I'm going to start leaking out more detail to you about being a difference maker and some of the things God has on my heart. Just get your heart ready because God's got some amazing stuff for us to make a difference in our community and our nation. So, unless God changes it, that's what we do. Love you. God bless you.